So we are in our series, Ugly Christmas Sweater. We are still in that series. We are in our third week of Ugly Christmas Sweater, as you can see by my Ugly Christmas Sweater. Uh, you know, as I said in the last couple weeks, you know, cr Ugly Christmas Sweaters have been quite the tradition. There is no end to the variety of ugly that is out there. But as I've also said, that doesn't go for just ugly Christmas sweaters. It goes for just ugly in general. In these past few years, especially amongst this pandemic, it feels like there's a lot of extra ugly out there. I'm sure you would all agree. And this is what this series is all about. It is about addressing the ugly, but not the ugly that's outside of us or around us. It's about addressing the ugly that is inside of us. Because we don't spend a lot of time wanting to look in the mirror at our own ugly, do we? We love to point out other people's ugly, but we don't often look at our, 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 our own ugly. And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at our own ugly because we often miss it. You know, we often miss it. Like last week when I picked out that sweater and I didn't bother to look at the back and I had a deer who was pooping peppermint drops, you know, which I think I need to do more often because I had like five or six parents told me that their kids listened to the sermon like never before once I talked about deer pooping peppermints. I had one pastor, a buddy of mine out on the West Coast, he called me up, he goes, you must have the coolest church because if I mentioned a deer pooping peppermint drops, I would be kicked out of this church forever. I said, yeah, I do have a pretty cool church. A little crazy, but pretty cool. And this week, once again, it was another example because I bought another one and I didn't realize it, but you probably can't even see it, but it lights up when I move. Like there's four lights. So, you know, if you see lights when I move, you are, you're not like, you know, hallucinating. The Holy Spirit's probably not trying to do something special. It's just I have battery-operated lights in my sweater, which I didn't know was a thing. So I feel like every week I have a sweater that I didn't pay attention to, that, which reaffirms the point that we really need to pay attention to the ugly in our lives. And more importantly, to see what God can do with that ugly and how he can turn it into something beautiful for his glory. Now this morning... Actually, you know, last week, if you weren't there, uh, two weeks ago, we first, we talked, about, uh, we talked about our ugly thoughts. No, did we? What did we talk about first? Was it thoughts? Yeah, it was thoughts. Then last week, we talked about our ugly words. This week, we're going to talk about our ugly motives. We're going to talk about our ugly motives. Now, motives are basically the why behind everything we do in life. All our actions, our words have a motive behind them, a reason for why we're saying those things, a reason for why we're doing those things. They're the underlying unseen reason for everything that we do, everything. And, and we have motives in big areas of life and in small. For example, this morning, some of you are sitting here in these nice cozy, uh, cozy chairs in this room. There was a motive behind you getting up, getting dressed and coming here. For those watching at home, there was a motive for them sitting there and watching at home. For those who are not watching at home, for those who are not sitting here, there's a motive behind that. There's a motive in everything that you do. And motives matter, not because they're just behind everything that we do, but because they really speak louder to what we do and say. They matter so much. Motives change how we perceive actions and words. They make things heavier or lighter. They change things from bad to good or good to bad. For example, in our legal system, the difference between first-degree murder and second-degree murder is, anybody? It's motive. It's your motive. 
And even the way that we react to people is based, with changes based on motive. I mean, if I told you that there's a thief who is robbing and stealing from rich people and committing acts of treason against his authority, we would call him a criminal. But what would happen if I told you his name was Robin Hood? The 1973 Disney version of Robin Hood, to be exact, the true Robin Hood. Well, our attitude would change this a little bit. Because like, who was Robin Hood? As legend says, he was the guy who took from the rich and he gave to the? He gave to the poor. And then he fought the evil sheriff of Nottingham who was trying to secretly take away the kingdom from the king of England. Motive matters. Even in more sinister ways. If a husband is meeting his wife's best friend to come up with Christmas ideas, he's praised. What a thoughtful guy. But if his motive is to test the waters for a possible affair, well, now he becomes a scoundrel. Motive matters. If, if a, a friend is unresponsive when you share a painful story with them, you, you, you may be upset and annoyed and like, why don't they care? But when you learn that they were terrified of hurting you by saying, something, saying the wrong thing, well, your heart softens. Why? Because motive matters. And most importantly, motive matters to God. Motive matters to God. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was particularly interested with laser-like focus on people's motives. On people's motives. I'll give you an example. In Matthew 6, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, your good deeds, in other words, before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. It goes on in verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may seen, be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Then jumping to verse 16, he says, and when you fast, meaning when you go out without food to seek the Lord, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that the fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus is speaking to a group of people, the Pharisees at the time, who were so focused on looking good in front of other people. And Jesus' issue was not with their actions in of themselves, because like, of course, like, you know, giving to the needy is a, it's a good thing, right? Praying is a good thing. Fasting is a good thing. But his issue was with why they were doing it. Because our motives matter to God. Proverbs 16.2 says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? That in everything that you do or say, God is paying attention to your motives, the reason behind your, what you're doing. That's what he's focused on. It's important for us to realize that because I don't feel like we often focus on our motives. And there's lots of motives out there. And I'm gonna give you some core motives because this is a very abstract sermon and, and, and if you don't really think hard and work hard, you're gonna miss what God has for you. The core motives that all our motives kind of come down to are some of these. It's like pleasure. We, we, we have a desire 
uh, you know, for things that make us feel good. Some of us, we desire freedom and autonomy. This is especially big for teenagers. We desire to do what we want and to answer to no one. Some of us, we desire love and intimacy. We desire to be loved by somebody else. Some of us, we, 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 uh, our motive is comfort and peace. We, we desire for things to be easy, to be comfortable. comfortable. Some of us, our motive is power. We desire to have control in situations. We want people to do what we want. Some of us, our motive is it's respect. We desire to have people listen to us and look up to us. Some of us, our, our motive is admiration. You want people to like you. They want to, you want people to see you as successful and talented, beautiful, handsome. And now these motives, they're not bad in themselves. But, yeah, 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 because they can be good to a point. But the problem is when these motives have more value to you than God does. You see, we were designed to trust and to look to something bigger than ourselves. Even if you sit here and you're like, I don't know if I believe in God, you have to, you have to agree with this point. We all have this universal desire to look to something outside of us to give us worth, to give us meaning. Some of us look to God, and if you don't look to God, then you're, you, you look to your family, you, you look to your friends, some look to celebrities, some, uh, some uh, look to their government. We're all trying to find what gives us value, what gives us worth. Well, God says when we look to anything outside of him to give us that worth, to give us that meaning, we're creating what's called an idol. And an idol is anything that you worship, that you look to more than God, that you find your worth in more than God. An idol is something that's, that's your goal. It's your hope. You feel like that you need them. If you could just get this or get that, you would be okay. And do you know how you know something becomes an idol? Because you're willing to sin to get them. You're willing to disobey God to get them. Even in the smallest ways. For example, some, you're willing to turn to pornography for pleasure. It's become an idol. When a, when a teenager disagrees with their parents and they disobey them, that search for independence has become an idol. When a Christian marries a non-Christian, which the Bible speaks against, that desire for love, it's become an idol. When you run away from every situation that causes you stress, and that desire, that desire for peace has become an idol. When you sit home on your couch, Instead of doing the things that God calls you to do, like uh, you know, uh, going to church, and I know some right now it's COVID, so it's more complicated, but take that away. Or you, you don't go uh, to Bible studies, or, or you don't serve because you want to be comfortable, you want to have your own time, do things your own way, or you don't want to get out of your comfort zone, comfort zone, that comfort's become an idol. Or even when you do serve in the church and you do nice things for others uh, so that people will think well of you and you will look good to other people, that desire for admiration has become an idol. And the list can go on and on and on and on and on. And one of the signs of when something's become an idol is when we don't get them, we get defeated or we get angry. 
Take, for example, a guy named Steve. Steve, who struggles, and no, any of Steve's here, this is not about you, just to be clear. Well, take Steve, who struggles with anger at work, right? And he's angry because he swears every time that his coworker looks at him, he gives him a glance. He gives him a look because it's the same guy that he's up against for a promotion. It's that guy who always gives me a condescending look. Now, why is Steve angry? Is it because of his coworker? No, because he has an idol of having to be respected and he's not being given that respect. He's not being given that promotion that he deserves. So he feels anger. When we don't get idols, we get angry, we get sad, we get depressed, we get defeated. Now, maybe some of these examples hit you and maybe they don't. But what I can tell you is every single one of us have idols that we battle. And, and out of those idols, every one of us have motives that we display in all the areas of our lives, much more than we realize. And listen, like I said earlier, for you to get something out of this message, you have to want to know. You have to want to think about this. You have to ask yourself, is it possible that I have ugly motives? You have to be willing to look. And I tell you right now, if you ask the Lord, show me my poor motives, my ugly motives, he will show you. In fact, this week, since I've been working on motives, I said, Lord, help me see my bad motives. I'm a horrible person. I am a horrible person. I should not be here. Because like the way I respond to people, the Lord has shown me the way I respond to people in some situations or when I go to do some certain things. Like I have horrible motives. They're selfish motives. He will show you how selfish and ugly your motives are. It is amazing. It is eye-opening. And I'm praying, and I've been praying for you the last couple of days, that everybody who would hear this message from now from the end of time would, would, would see and want to see where their motives are ugly. And man, and they can happen in, in the weirdest ways you would never expect. Like, you know, we have some of us, we're tempted to exaggerate things and stories in life. Do you know exaggeration is a motive? It's a motive to make things bigger and, and, and more exciting because we need filling that idol of wanting to be liked. Some of us, we use manipulation. When we want something, we think about how we're gonna go get it. We think what's gonna ensure we get what we want. Remember last week, I used the example of when you're, you're, you were a kid and you went up to your parents, and you're like, hi, dad, hi, mom. I love you as they're touching their arm and you, snuggle, you nestle next to them. You're manipulating at the end of the day. And we still do that in life. Ooh, I'm gonna present this this way or I'm gonna do this or do that. It's a motive. Some of you, you hide your pain. When you hurt, you will not tell anybody. You will not show anyone. And there's a motive behind it. There's a motive behind it. There's something you are protecting, something that you're afraid of. Fear is a big motivator. We're a, we're, fear is a huge motivator. We don't share things because we're afraid. We don't take steps of faith because we're afraid. Man, fear dry is such a powerful motivator in our lives. We don't confess our sin because we're afraid. Man, motives, they run the gamut. They're in every aspect of our lives. And they're dangerous. They're dangerous. Wrong motives can cause us to lose sight of God. Like Isaiah the prophet 
Speaking about Israel, he says, these people, speaking for God, he says, these people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is how serious motives are. They can put you far in your heart from the Lord. For those of you who are Christians, when you go around in your life and you proclaim that Jesus is the truth and the way, and then you live by different motives and people see that, what are you telling them about Christ? It even hinders our prayers. James, in the book of James, chapter four, I think he says, look, some of you don't receive what you ask because you ask with the wrong motives. You know what's something I don't do very often? I bet you don't either. When I'm praying, I don't stop to think if my motives for my prayers are good motives. Wait, wait, what am I praying right now? I'm at, is this a good motive behind this? Now, I wonder how our prayers would change if, we, if we, we pause to look at our motives of our prayers. I mean, even more seriously than all of this, there are some who will never see heaven because their motives for following God are the wrong motives. This should cause us great pause this morning. So I think the next question that's important to ask is how do we get right motives? How do we get right motives in our lives? Because motives will be with us till the day we croak. How do we get right motives? Well, I think the first thing is we, we need to realize our sinfulness. Okay? That's the difference between someone who believes and puts their faith in God and someone who doesn't is an understanding of their selfishness and their sinfulness. Their sinfulness. Too many in this world do not realize how sinful and selfish they are. And when we realize it, we bring them to God and say, God, here I am. I am a dirty, selfish person. I care about me. Here I am. And the beauty thing, and these beautiful thing in these moments, when we stop and we bring them to God and we say, here we are, and we look to God, we take that first step of getting right motives. And, and here's how it starts. Because when you bring this, your sin and your dirtiness to God, you experience the love of his forgiveness. There's no penance required. There's no going to the woodshed for a licking. There's no sitting in the timeout chair. God gives you his forgiveness as you put your faith in him, not just as your savior, but as your Lord. It's a free gift. You see, if forgiveness came by anything that we did, it would detract from the glory of what Christ has given us, what we sang about this morning. It'd be no different for how people repay us and we repay others when they do us wrong or we do them wrong. We'd never be able to look confidently to God because we'd be always wondering, did I pay enough? And it never tells you anywhere how much to pay to be in the goodness of God's grace. So you're, you're on one foot dancing to another. Have I been good enough? But when you understand the divine forgiveness of the Bible, you, you realize it's like nothing you have ever experienced. It brings a peace and a joy. Even though you still have all this sinfulness, you no longer feel a separation from God, a worry and a guilt. You may feel conviction for your sin, but there's a peace and a joy because you know that his forgiveness is his to give. 
R.C. Sproul, he said this. He says, listen, among, talking about his sin, he says, to know that God knows everything about me. He knows every detail, every sin about me, and yet loves me is my ultimate and complete consolation. God says, I know everything about you. Every motive that you have shared with others, every motive others see, and every motive you keep hidden in the darkest, locked up part of your basement of your heart, he goes, I see. And I love you. And my forgiveness is for you when you look to me. And in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, because of this, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence as we look to God. And this is just the beginning. Because as we look to God, we find that every desire that we've been searching after in other things is finally filled. Ephesians 3, we already read it. He says, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love, that you would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, when we look to God, when we read his word, when we sing praises, when we apply it in, my, in our lives, we are filled with him. We are satisfied in him. And all of these other desires that we were looking for, they're, they're filled in him. We stop looking around. We stop seeking these other idols. We clear them and throw them off our shelf and we look only to God. And it changes how we see our motives. Because you can only admit your sinfulness and still have joy and peace is if your confidence and your peace and your fulfillment is not in yourself. It's only when it's in God that you can say, hey, I'm a dirty sinner. I confess my sins to you. You're still heartbroken, but you're not broken by it. Take our, 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 our angry, our angry coworker Steve, who is not a representation of Steve's in this church once again. When Steve finds his fulfillment in the Lord, his satisfaction in the Lord, he begins to realize that his problem with the, his coworker, it's not the coworker, it's that he's not trusting in the Lord. He's not choosing God to be enough for him. He's not saying, you know what, Lord, if I don't get this promotion, I'm okay because I have you. I don't need this promotion to be satisfied. And, I, and, I've, and I've been feeling that way and thinking that way, and that's why I'm getting angry. And Father, I repent of that. I repent of it. You are all I need. My life is in your hands. You are sufficient. And it's in those moments that we find peace and we bring glory to his name. John Piper, one of my favorite quotes, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So imagine Steve, he's now nice to this coworker, says good things to him. Steve's not going around talking bad about him anymore. He's not trying to manipulate the people in power. He's just coming in, putting his head down, doing his job. People are gonna start to notice. They're gonna start to say, what's different? By God's grace, he'll offer opportunity to share. Oh, listen, I, I'm sorry I acted that way. 
I'm sorry, acted my, my faith, my eyes were not in the Lord. And an opportunity to share Jesus. When we find satisfaction in him, all other motives are washed away. All other motives are washed away. We, we don't need to make admiration an idol anymore because we realize, listen, I've been made in the image of God. We, we don't need to have respect as an idol anymore because we know honor comes from being a son of the, or daughter of the Most High. We, we don't need comfort and peace as an idol anymore because we know God gives the peace that passes all understanding, not in absence of the storms of life, but in the middle of them. We don't need to make love an idol because we are loved by the Father in heaven. We don't need to make freedom an idol because we want to serve the one true king. Everything else falls by the wayside as you look to your Lord and Savior. And for Paul in Philippians, I think he says it best. He says, listen, all I have is Jesus. He goes, everything else I have is worthless. He He says, whatever were gains to me, he goes, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I lost all things. He goes, I consider them garbage, trash. He says, everything else that would give me worth and identity is trash outside of Christ. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you satisfied in the Lord this morning? Is he enough for you? So let's say we're in that place. We are looking to the Lord. And it's a process. It takes time. But there's something else we still need to do because any of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ, like I said last week, you know the moment you say, Lord, I make you my Lord and Savior. I put my faith in you. The glory of God does not just fall down. Angels do not surround you. You do not spout scripture. And you're not full of forgiveness every time. You, You still say bad words. You make bad choices. You still sin, right? It's still there. Sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ. It is a process, long process, a slow process, some slower than others. Temptations are still there. Weakness is still there. Let me read something for you. James, in in chapter one, he says this. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There is a moment, an opportunity that arises after we are lured and enticed and before we sin. There's a moment there. And that opportunity, that moment is to check our motives. To check our motives. Or or to put it better, to check our hearts. One of my favorite people in the world, they were sitting in my office here a year and a half ago. And I remember they they were working through something and and they just kept saying to me, you know what, I, I just need to check my heart. I need to check my heart. I want to make sure I'm honoring God. I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. I want to check my heart. And that is the second thing you have to do after looking to God to have right motives is you got to be willing to check your heart. Do you ever check your heart? Do you ever check your heart? Because your heart reveals who you are. One of the the things that separates biblical Christianity 
from almost every other religion is the laser focus, the laser-like focus that scripture has on our hearts because they reveal who we are. And we need that laser-like focus. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? That means your heart will always lean towards the selfish. It will always lean towards the ugly. And so you have to say, I need to check my heart. My motive, can, can I find it in scripture? Can I find it or just does it feel good and feel right to me? Or, or what kind of fruit will my motive produce? Scripture te- teaches about fruit all the time. And, and fruit being an illustration for our actions and words. What is the outcome of them? Are they God honoring or not? Or if you're unsure, like I don't know, I don't know if, if this is the right motive or not, to go to other mature and godly Christians who are seeking the Lord and ask him. I guarantee you right now, if you don't want to double check your motive, it's probably a good sign that your motive is not God-honoring, that it's probably ugly, it's probably selfish. You have to be so careful of your motives, especially when it benefits you, when it makes things better for you, when it makes things easier for you, that is when you have to check it the most. I, and sometimes it can come out of good things. Like one of my motivations, my strong motivations is to accomplish my work. I take very seriously my role to preach and to pastor because I'm gonna have to answer to God for it one day and I'm hoping that conversation goes slightly well, right? I don't want that to go poorly. And so, and so I, I, I work hard. It's a motivation because I feel peace when I've gone through all the steps that I, I know that I need to uh, to get things done. And that's okay until it crosses some lines. When I am no longer being the father that scripture commands me to be, when I'm not being the husband that scripture commands me to be, when I am not allowing myself to be open to the Holy Spirit to mess with my schedule because he has other things in mind, now that motive has become a sin. And so I have to constantly check my motives because I constantly feel that pressure to get a lot of things done. And then I also have to realize that sometimes God doesn't want you to have peace. He doesn't want you to have things easy. Some of the, my most impacting sermons is when I've had like half a day to write it and I walk up on stage going, <gasps> pulling out my hair. That's why I don't have minutes left. We have to constantly be checking our motives, our hearts in everything we do. Social media people, do you check your motives before you post? You know, I see all your social media accounts, all of them, and I do not apologize for it. And I guarantee you, many of you, especially when you get involved in politics, you ain't checking nothing before you post it. Nothing. You know why you post it? You post it because it makes you feel good. It post it, you post it because you get to jab the side you agree with. That's why you're posting it. You're posting it so other people can affirm back to you how right you are because you're feeling this desire, this desire for justice and for rightness. And then what you do the next day is you post, I love Jesus. And I wonder, like, what Jesus do you love? You don't love the Jesus I do, because the Jesus I do would not be posting what you posted yesterday. You need to check your motives in everything you do. Oh my Lord, you gotta check your motives before you send a text. I'm horrible at this. I'll just be like, 
send. Reader, oh, I wrote that earlier. You must check your motives in everything you do. When you snap at your, your, your wife or your husband or your friend, uh, or when you, when, when you have doubt in your heart, or you go to make a decision, or you don't go do something, I mean, there's motives in every area of your life, and you must check your heart constantly. All right, so let's say we get to this step. I'm looking to God. I'm checking my motives. And then we find out, oh man, I got some ugly motives, right? How do we respond? How do we respond? And we can respond. I think sometimes we, we believe that our internal thoughts uh, and our motivations just kind of have a mind of their own, right? But they don't. Jesus would not have told us, you can choose good motives if you didn't have the power to choose good motives, when we have wrong motives, it's our choice to fight against those wrong motives. Scripture points to this. We have the power. We have his word. And we have his Holy Spirit. We did a whole study on this. If you have not seen that study, you need to watch or listen to it. Because going through life without understanding the power and the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is like going into a naval battle and hopping into a little dinghy with a rifle when you have a whole carrier fleet at your arsenal. I mean, at your disposal. You have a power in the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you when you put your faith in him to give you strength to overcome all things. So we have that power. We recognize it. How do we go about it? Let me tell you how we don't go about it first. Sometimes we avoid the things that tempt us to have bad motives. I'll tell you what I mean. Back to Matthew 6. Some of us, our response might be to avoid doing good works in front of people at all. Like, and I've had people who do that. Like, don't tell anybody I'm doing this. Like, I will, I will take you out, pastor. Right? <laughs> and there's like almost a fear to it. But that's not what Jesus really said. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Listen, to be seen by them. He didn't say it was wrong for people to see you do good. He said, it's wrong if your motive is for them to see you do good. For example, Matthew 5, he says, Jesus said, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. Was Jesus speaking out of both sides of his mouth here? No. Notice the motive. He says in Matthew 5, do your good deeds so God may be glorified. Matthew 6, he says, don't do your good deeds for your own glory. It's a good deed in both scenarios, but one has the right motive and one has the wrong. In other words, choose right motives. Choose right motives. Just choose the right motive. Correct your thinking. And I'll tell you, there's a bottom line that will help you understand what the right motive is in every situation. This is in every counseling session I do, no matter what it is, we start with this one decision. Let me find it. Here it is. Does it bring glory to God? Does it bring glory to God? Will you honor God? That is the right motive in every situation, period. Martin Lloyd joins, he said, the Christian is to live in such a way that men looking at him and seeing the quality of his life will glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. This is the motivation. This is your line every time. This is the foundation of your decision-making. Does this 
Word, does this action, does this decision glorify God? And if you can make this your motive every time, you will find purpose in everything. Whether you get the promotion or you don't get the promotion, oh, I'm bringing glory to God. When you confess your sin, oh, at least I'm bringing glory to God by confessing my sin. In everything that you do, you are bringing glory to God. And so everything is a joy because you know that God can use everything. Choose right motives. As it says in Proverbs 16, commit your way to the Lord. Lord, help me have good motives. Help me commit my way to you is our prayer. Look to God. Check your heart. Choose the right motive to bring glory to God. Now listen, I, I, I know for some of you, because this was overwhelming to me this week, I was like, man, I feel like I have to be a master analyst to understand my motives. But you don't need to be. All you need to do is, is the prayer. Pray this prayer in Psalm 139 where, where, where David says, search me, O God. Verse 23, search me, O God. You pray that prayer, he'll show you. And, don't be, and, and you don't have to sit here and stop every moment. Okay, check motive, check motive, check motive. As you draw near to Christ, as you say, Lord, search me. As you're reading his word, as you're surrounded with believers, as you're coming to church and to serve and to praise him, as you realize that your, your mission in life is to bring glory to him, the, the more you draw close to him, the more he revealed, will reveal to you your motives. They'll just pop in. They've been happening to me this week. Oh man, that's a bad motive. That's a bad motive. Oh man, thank you, Lord. Help me, let me change that. And it'll become so natural in your life. And you'll just be praising God all day for showing you your motives. That you may correct them to bring glory to his name. Because he is all sufficient. He is your everything. He is the filler of your every desire. May we be a church that chooses right motives. Amen.